If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. We're starting at verse 1. And get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God and just for allowing us to know you, God, and just having the mercy that you show to us, God. Help us to never to be ungrateful, to always be thankful, God, to you for your goodness, for your word, for your truth. Help us to see it, to understand it, God, and to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Proverbs chapter 18. Been trekking our way through this book. It's been pretty good. At least to me it has been. I enjoyed it. And we're starting here at verse 1. And in Proverbs 18. Now this is a couple of things. We're going to run into some things. This is one I've been prepping y'all for for a minute. It's some very common Proverbs that's found in these next two chapters. We're going to try to make it through. But in these, I'm going to wrestle with you a little bit and try to get you to open up your brain from the common usage. And it's something we talked about a little bit way back when we first started. When we're talking about the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was written in, it's a very concrete language. And what I mean by that is most of their words, the definitions relate to symbols or, or acts. It's a common example like for them, anger is not an abstract thing. For us, anger is just an emotion. And we defined it based off an emotion. But the Hebrew word for anger means the flaring of the nose. There's a concrete connection that goes with all the words. And so when we get into this Hebrew poetry, it sometimes can create confusion. Because the idea with the abstract, with the limited context, can, can leave some things hanging. And you have to sit. And that's why, like I said, the Bible was made for us to meditate on it in the way that we get the most understanding from the Bible, the way that we get the full benefit from it is to meditate on it and it's to have these things repeated and to say it over and over again and allow the spirit of God to illuminate it to us. And we're going to run into a couple of those today. There's some thoughts we have to meditate on to really allow the fullness of it to be revealed to us. And we reach the first one right here in verse one, Proverbs chapter 18, verse one, it says, through desire, a man having separated himself, seek it and intermeddle it with all wisdom. So through desire, it's through longing, through passion. So there's something, a passion that a man has that causes him to separate himself. So through desire, a man having separated himself, and this is where the confusion comes. Seek it and intermeddle it with all wisdom. Now, on the surface, if we read that the way that it's translated, it seems like a man removes himself or separates himself to go on a search for wisdom. As it says, seek it and intermeddle it himself with all wisdom. But the catch in this one is that word intermeddle it. And it has the idea of being obstinate or fighting against something. So when we hear it, what he's saying here. Is that when a man has a passion, something that he has deep down in his heart, it can cause him to remove himself from those around him. And it can cause him to seek out and to fight against all wisdom, to be obstinate against all the counsel around him. And that's the part of him separate himself. We've seen it. Some of y'all might have done it. 
to where you want something in your heart and you got something you want and everybody around you is trying to counsel you against it. And what you end up doing is stop going around those people. And it's not because you no longer like the people. It's because you so set on what did you have in your heart that you isolate yourself so that you can pursue that desire and it causes you to be obstinate against all the advice, all the counsel of those around you. That's a dangerous place to be in. And it's one of the, the subtle attacks that, that the enemy used to get us. This, this idea of separation and isolation for the purpose of fulfilling our own desires. It's sometimes where you wake up and you just, you in a, you in a, a, a somber, a, a heart, just, your, your heart just ain't right and you down in the dumps on yourself. And the initial idea is, I ain't going to go whatever it is. They ain't going to church today. Why? Because I have something going on inside of me, and I ain't really got time for those who to be trying to encourage me, to try to tell me what I, because of the desire that's inside of me. So this is just the principle. So through desire, a man separated himself, seeking it intermittently. That means he's obstinate against, he fights against all wisdom. Y'all understand it. Verse 2, say a fool have no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. So a foolish man, he takes no pleasure in understanding. The idea is when you're trying to break something down, when you're trying to give comprehension or reconcile things to a fool, he takes no pleasure in that. But what he delights in is that his heart, so those foolish desires of his heart be realized or be revealed. That's what a fool has pleasure in. So when you're talking to counseling with somebody and they're being foolish on the inside, they don't like when you try and explain and show them the rationale or the reason of why something is there. The only thing that they want to do is satisfy or ingratiate themselves with the desires that's inside of them. And he's saying, this is a fool. So if you ever find yourself in a position where you just want what you want, and it frustrates you or upsets you when somebody try to explain something to you or try to encourage you or try to teach you about something. He's saying you're being a fool. Y'all understand that? Raise your hand in your heart. How many of you have been that person? <laughs> Verse 3 said, when the wicked come, then come it also contempt and with ignominy reproach. So we got a couple of things coming here. So when the wicked come, so anytime the wicked person comes, he's saying contempt or fighting or strife come along with them. So once the wicked enters in, some contention, some fighting, some strife, some ain't going to be right. And he's like, with ignominy, that's with shame, with disgrace, coming reproach. So if you have wicked in your midst, you're going to have some arguing in your midst. If you have shame in your life, there's going to be a reproach or disgrace that's connected with that. He's saying these things go hand in hand. So just like fighting and contention go with the wicked, reproach or disgrace goes with shame. Y'all understand that? Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. He's talking about this mouth again. He's been telling us a lot about this mouth. So this is something we need to take and pay attention to. So the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters. It's basically the idea that when a man speaks, there's depths or there's layers to the words that he speaks. 
And he connects this and saying, when the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. So when you're listening to a wise man, when somebody is expounding something from a heart of wisdom, there's depths and there's levels to it that you can continually draw from. So a man's words of his mouth are as deep waters, meaning there's levels to it. And the words of a wisdom are the wisdom wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook there's something continuous that flows from wisdom and this is what we run into when we run into the scriptures that's why we allow it to meditate on it and we have to pull the 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 fullness of it out because it's not just a surface level thing there's layers of meaning and there's a depth to it that you can continuously draw from that's what he's putting forth here are y'all understanding that in verse Five said it's not good to accept the persons of the wicked to overthrow the righteous in judgment. So to accept the persons of that's to show favor towards. So it's not a good thing. It's not something that should be done for us to show preference to or show favor towards the wicked. And he connecting that with to overthrow the righteous in judgment. So if you have a righteous man who's in a place where he's in some possibly in some trouble. Like if you want to knock down a righteous man by uplifting the wicked, that is not good. So it's the idea of us not showing favoritism, not showing partiality towards a wicked in preference to a righteous man. That's not a good thing. And it flashes up back to the last chapter 17 where it says those who justify the wicked and those who condemn the just are an abomination to God. God hates it. God despises it when we elevate the wicked over the righteous and we show preference to the wicked over the righteous and that's why the one of these proverbs that keep going is we need to be conscious or cautious of who are our friends if the closest to you is a wicked man or a wicked woman you are in danger your best friend the one you call on the one you have to connect with if they are wicked you are in a dangerous position Because those who are closest to us have an impact on us. And those who are closest to us, we show preference to. And here he's saying it's not good to show preference to the wicked and to overthrow the righteous in judgment. So if you prefer the wicked over the righteous and cause some harm to the righteous, that ain't good. Y'all understand that. Verse 6, a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth call it for strokes. Talking about that mouth again. So a foolish man with his lips, he causes contentions. He go into argument, he causes strife, is fussing and all that stuff is what comes from a foolish man's mouth. So if you create arguments by the way that you speak, he's saying this identifies you as being foolish. Saying his mouth call it for strokes. What it means by call it for strokes? He deserved to be beat. <laughs> just, just that, let that sit for a second. The reason he deserved to be beaten is because of his mouth. Now, how many of your parents have told you that? It's that mouth that's going to get you in trouble. <laughs> and that's what he's saying here. If by your tongue, the way that you use your mouth, you create arguments, you create fussing, saying that shows the heart of a fool. And the fussing that you create, saying because of your mouth, you deserve strokes. Your mouth is what's going to get you in trouble. And we see it on a little level. And it is true on the big level when it comes to our relationship with God. Jesus said we shall give an account of every idle word that we speak. 
And it's by our mouth we're going to be condemned or by our mouth we're going to be justified. So the way that we use our mouth is a big thing to God. And if you cannot use your mouth in a manner that creates peace, he's saying it shows you that you have a foolish heart. That's deep now. Verse 8. The words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. So a talebearer is what we refer to as a gossiper, a whisperer, a backbiter. Some folks who just go around and spreading things out. So the words of a talebearer. So if you got a person who goes bounce from person to person, telling people business, revealing the shame, revealing the hurt of people, he's saying those person words goes down into the, it's like a sword and it hurts. It creates wounds and it goes down into the innermost. So if you got somebody that you speak to in trust and confidence and they put your business out in the streets and shame you and disgrace you, He's saying that creates wounds, that hurts people. And it goes down to the innermost parts of the being. Basically, it's something that crushes and creates scars very down in their soul. Now, that's deep. And it's something we need to be conscious of as those who are supposed to be the righteous people and people trust us. You should be that person that people can trust. Because to you, what may seem to be a light thing has the ability to scar people. Well, you just running out your mouth, trying to create conversation, trying to have something to say. But if you're revealing, you're being a terror bearer, you're bouncing and you're dis- distrusting, being distrustful and revealing the things that people reveal to you in confidence. Saying you have the ability to hurt and to wound people. And it is something that we should not be or should not do as quote unquote righteous people. Y'all understand me? So don't let your mouth get you in trouble. Don't let your mouth scar and hurt those who are close to you or trust you. And don't be the one that show favor to the wicked. All of these are signs of a foolish person. Verse 9 said, he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. That's a deep one too. So the person that is slothful in his work is basically slack. They're not diligent. They don't do things the way that it's supposed to be done. Like the person that works and operates like that, say they are a brother to or is akin to or have relation to a great waster. A great waster here is a destroyer. Somebody that causes hurt. Somebody that destroys things. Like If you're that person, you slack in the way that you do business. You just like a person that destroys or, or, or tear down things. And the idea here of this lawfulness is not somebody that just refused to do something, but somebody who does something in a manner that's careless or not willing to do it with everything that the way that it's supposed to be done. Like if you, so I ain't none of y'all no contractor, so I can use this. Like you, you rebuilding and doing a house and you see that it's rotten wood in that thing and you just put some plaster up and keep it going. Like, Tear out beans and do all that stuff. They're going to run my couch up. I ain't got time for that. So we're just going to plaster it, put some paint on it and make it look good. That's a slothful man, a lazy man, a man that's slack in his business. Like if you operate that, you're akin to a great waster. Someone, you might as well just be the person who tear them folks house down. Because what you're doing in the way that you're doing business is going to lead to ruin. And so let us not be that person. Let us not be the person that at work that tell folks, all you got to do is, 
<laughs> Anytime somebody starts something to you and you ask them a question about job and they respond with all you got to do is, chances are you talking to a lazy person. Uh, they finna low that level all the way down to the bare minimum. Every now and then, somebody's gonna show you a better way. But most time, when you get to that, all you gotta do is, that's a dangerous person to, to, to follow at work. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 10 said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. So Yahweh, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. So by a strong tower, this one of them fancy, I told you, we're going to run into a lot of famous proverbs in this one. So a strong tower is a place of refuge, a place of security. So the righteous runs to, or the righteous can find security in the name of the Lord. Now, the catch here is, is church to mess our mind up. Y'all give me a little interaction. What do you think he mean by the name of the Lord? Huh? Now, what does he mean? What is he talking about when he said the name of the Lord? Now we all right know this verse. Now that we 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 shot on it and they got saying the name of the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> y'all saying the song. <laughs> so what does he mean by the name of the Lord? All right, church ain't helped us out now. We just... now I give you a little bit. How many of you think it means just the name itself? That the word Jesus is a strong tower. That if I say Jesus, that I'm lifting up the strong tower and I'm building myself a defense. Don't nobody think that? That's what we were taught. Do you think it's true? (laughs) And you would be correct. By the name of the Lord, we understand this better than we think we do. If I tell you, you come to me like, hey, you got a job. Like, yeah, I know some folks who got a job. I'm seeing you out there. Don't mess my name up. What am I saying? Yeah, I'm talking about my reputation, my character, who I am as a person. You can badly reflect on that. So when he's talking about the name of the Lord here, He's talking about the character of God, who he is in his person. That is a strong tower. And the righteous take refuge in the character of God. It takes refuge in the person of God, the reputation of God, how he has built himself up. And that's what we run to. So to give you a concrete example, the Bible tells us over and over again that God is merciful, that he delights in showing mercy, that he's compassionate, he's tender, he's kind. If we understand that, that's a, that's the name of God. That's his character. That's his reputation. So what if we get to a point where we feel like we're not worthy? If we find refuge in the name of God, that should propel us to run towards him. Because I'm in a position where I need mercy. I'm in a position where I need somebody to be tender towards me. I feel I don't deserve it. But because I know his name, that propels me to run to it. You understand? Because your immediate mind would be to what? To fall back. Like, man, I can't, I can't go talk to God. Nah, you know what I'm saying? I got too much going on. But the name of God is the refuge. It's the place of safety. And so we run to him. We find refuge in him and there's strength in him. Based in us knowing who he is. 
Y'all understand what I'm saying? So it's not just saying Jesus, but it's knowing what Jesus means. It's knowing all that is the full person that he is. And that's what the place that we find refuge in. That's where we run to his character and we're safe. So we take refuge in knowing who God is and finding his character and trusting in that. Y'all understand that makes sense to you. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the name of the Lord. So that means if we really want to have this place of refuge, we need to do what? Know who God is. And not just know some names. Some words. Verse 11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. And as I, and it's as in high wall in his own conceit. So the rich man, his strong city, or the place that he finds refuge in, is his money. And say so it is as a high wall, it's like a, a high defense, it's like a fence around him in his own conceit or in his own imagination. So the way he conceive of his money is a, it is a defense for him. It is a high wall for him. Just like we view the name of the Lord, we run to it. He's saying the rich man depends upon his wealth for his defense. It's just a description of what goes on. Verse 12 said, before destruction, the heart of a man is what? Haughty. And before honor is humility. This one of those oft-repeated proverbs that he says over and over again in many different ways. So before destruction or before ruin, before a man is brought down, the spirit of a man is haughty. That's prideful. He's lifted up. He thinks he's better than what he truly is. So if you're prideful, if you're haughty, if you boast yourself over against other people, he's saying that's what happened right before destruction happened. Like, if you want honor, if you want to be revered, if you want to be lifted up, humility is what happens right before that happens. So you can be prideful or you can be humble. And you can be destroyed or you can be elevated. It all depends upon the disposition of your heart. Verse 13 says, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Now, this is another deep one to put in your back pocket. Person that answers a matter, that person that responds to something before he hears it. So before you can tr- truly listen to somebody, you already got your response in your mind. It's like that's foolishness. Now, I know I'm the only one in here that done that before. You already, <laughs> you already know what you're going to say before they get talking. So you're not listening to anything being said. You're just waiting on your turn to say your response. He's saying that's foolish. And we need to be people who listen. And one of the places this show up that y'all ain't thinking about, because we see it in, in arguments and stuff like that. But when people call themselves evangelizing, this foolishness manifests itself. Because you already know what the Bible says and you just waiting to say it. And it disconnects us from people because we don't listen to people. So we out there witnesses and we telling people and we just waiting on them to pause so we can tell them what the Bible say, not having heard and heard what they're saying. And you end up sometimes speaking towards something that the person ain't even there. Because you're not willing to listen and hear the heart and understand a person. So even in the evangelism, if you just preaching and not listening, you're being foolish. Verse 14 said, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear it. It's another deep 
So the spirit of a man, the thing that dwells inside of a man, the life inside of a man can sustain his infirmity. What it means by his infirmity is his weaknesses. So you can have some weaknesses about yourself and the spirit inside of you gives you the ability to overcome them. There's a resolve that dwells inside of a man that allow him to conquer and to overcome his weaknesses. Or the, 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 the mishaps of normal life. Right? There's a resolve that can cause a man to do that. But, said a spirit that is wounded, who can stand it? So it's possibility if I break my back, uh, lose an arm, that the spirit inside of me can propel me and I can press on and still do and accomplish great things in life. But if the spirit inside me be broken, who can bear it? How is it that I can stand? And this is one of the ideas of that sometimes life ain't that hard. Is We are weak. And we don't have the ability or the strength to go on. And it has nothing to do with the situation and circumstances. It has to, everything to do with the position or the strength of the inner man that's inside of us. Like I said, the spirit of a man can sustain his infirmities. So you have strength inside of you when your spirit is whole and when it is right. But when it is broken, you you can't go on. So the heart of a prudent man get it knowledge. And the fear of the wise, seek it knowledge. So the heart of a prudent man. A prudent man is a wise man. A man who know how to live life right. He said what his heart does is it get knowledge. So he pursues, he goes after knowledge. And the heart of the wise, seek it knowledge. Or the ear of the wise, seek it knowledge. So a prudent man, a wise man is a learning man. If you get to the place where can't nobody teach you anything, you got to the place where you are a fool. Prudent man, a wise man is always learning. And more than always learning, he's seeking, he's pursuing it. He's trying to get knowledge, he's trying to get understanding. That's what a wise man does. Now, if we just allow this, just to give you a little bit to think on, show you how these proverbs can work. If we allow this principle to be applied to our relationships in our life, what does it mean? So, prudent man, a wise man, get it knowledge. A wise ear, seek it knowledge. So, if I come to a situation that could be contentious, if I am a wise man, what is the primary thing that I'm trying to do in the midst of that contention? Understand what's going on. Because a wise man, a wise ear, seeketh knowledge. Y'all understand it. And this is something that we need to understand and it's the way we can apply these things to life. Even the other ones, just to give you a little bit, when it talks about the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? When it Let's say we're dealing with children or, or, or spousal relationships. When we bringing them up or when we rebuking them, the object should be to crush the behavior in the wrong, not the person. Because if you destroy the person, you take away the strength of a person. And we look in our relationships and rebuking and bringing up to learn how to navigate and to humble a person without destroying the person. Because a wounded spirit, who can bear it? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Just, just let to show you different ways to flip these things around. Verse 16. A man's gift make it room for him. 
and bringeth him before great men. This is another very famous proverb. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Now, Miss Maddie, what is a gift? <laughs> Say it one more time. What is a gift? A bride. Now, here it says a man's gift make it room for him. Church has taught us that this means a man's talent. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> he's not talking about a talent here. <laughs> he's talking about a man having something in his possession that he can give. That has the ability to bring him before great men. Just think, even just play with the talent example. Do you think that everybody who's famous as a singer is the most talented singer there is? A lot of them come from relationships and people being in position to connect them with the right folks. A man's gift make room for him. Not his talent. It's his ability to have something to give. Now the question is, is this condoning bribery? Is this condoning buying favor? Hmm. Like, should that we be a way we operate? Like if Brother Jay's selling his t-shirts, and if you get connection with some great guy, should he pay for them to give him space to play? Like, should that is that a wise and righteous thing to do? To utilize what he has in pocket to create opportunities for himself? It's one to think about. It's one to think about. That's what he's telling us here. Now, I'll play with it here. I'm going to save it for later. If you go back to when we first opened, we're going to go through it again and show you. But there was these initial seven words that was talked about the Proverbs are going to put into our life. The four things are going to do connected with seven words. And one of those words was understanding. So the idea, if we look at a lot of these Proverbs, it's teaching us basic principles about life so that if we wise, we know how to rightly navigate these situations. And here it's showing you a basic principle about life that having a gift has the ability to create room for you. A gift is something to give, not a talent. Has the ability to create room for you. Now it is your job as the wise learner to understand that principle and know how to best use it in a practice that is consistent with righteousness and wisdom. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because if we think about it, Jesus used a very similar lesson in a parable that messes a lot of people up. He talked about an unjust steward who knew he was about to lose his job. And he went everywhere connecting and making deals and negotiating. And Jesus said, we need to learn from him. It's like, hold up. This man, he was just out there hustling in the streets and negotiating and taking advantage with money. Jesus said, you need to learn from him. Because there's a way to navigate this life and to use all the resources that God has given us in a manner that is consistent with godliness, but it flows forth from wisdom. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? But let that one sit a little bit. I know the church told you, Jeff, because 
you can do whatever you can do. Shoot a hoop, run a ball. That, that means you're going to be on top of the world. That's not what Solomon was saying. 17. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just or righteous, but he, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. Uh oh. So when you listen to somebody, the one that go first, they seem like they're telling the truth. Then it said, but his neighbor. So somebody else come alongside and start to question or examining him. Then you realize, hold up, story ain't always what it seems. So when you listen to somebody and they explain what had happened was, like when you do, when they go first, it sounds like they're telling you the truth and they, they being righteous. But when somebody comes alongside and start asking them questions, you know, hold on now, some ain't matching up. And that's just the principle. Keep that one in your back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> that means you don't always hear, believe the first story you hear. The lot caused it contention to cease and parted between the mighty. That's another one of them dangerous ones that, that they'll make sense to us. The lot, basically what it's talking about, that, that casting. It's like that caused it contentions to cease. So when there's an argument going on, he's saying casting lots can make it stop. Now, if you play basketball, we see this all the time. Two jokers about to fight over who knocked the ball out of bounds, then somebody just out of the blue says shoot for it. Then all of a sudden, magically, everybody stopped fussing. They shoot and the game going on and people talking about it and such, 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 but it has the ability to squelch your situation. So is this condoning casting lots? We're going to put that one in the back pocket. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to be warned in a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. That's a deep one. So a brother offended. So if you have somebody and you offend them, if you scar them, you go against them, if you hurt them in some manner, like they're harder to be warned than a strong city. So if you offend somebody, it's harder to win them or to sway them or persuade them than it is to break through a strong city. So the idea is to rebuke, to correct without being the offense. Now sometimes you can't help it and people will be offended by the truth and by righteousness. But we should take it into our heart and our mind to not be the cause of the offense. To let Christ and the truth be the cause. You understand? Because if you offend somebody, like they're harder to be warned. 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. This is a deep one again. So a man's belly, your life going to be satisfied. So you going to be filled with what your mouth produce. That's deep. So your mouth going to create for you. And you're going to be filled with that. And it's the idea of the way that we use our tongue. Has an impact on how our life works out. It's saying with the increase of his lips. Or with the thing that flows forth from his lips. Shall he be filled. Another proverb. I mean another popular proverb. Verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So is this saying that we can create life and death by our tongue? What y'all think? True? So that means. Okay. All right. Break it down for me then. Break it down for me. So what is it talking about? 
Grow fruit? Maybe what you got, Miss Maddie? What is it talking about? So life and death is talking about in a metaphorical sense then. The idea. You can mess some things up. You can make some things better by the way that you use your tongue. And that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty close to what he's getting here. So in the realm of the power of the tongue, life and death, it has some influence on those things. And it's part of what we've been talking about through this whole thing. That you can bring into your life blessings, fellowship, benefit. And what I mean by blessings is not money, but the sense of the outgrowth. The way God responds to you, your mouth has some influence on that. And especially when it gets down to the day that we stand before him, your mouth has some influence on that. And if you love the tongue, that basically if you, if you take care of it, if you pay close attention to it, you're going to eat the fruit of it. So you're going to be filled, just like what it said before, before, what you do with your mouth. It's not the sense of that we can go down to the BMW lot and walk around seven times and then shout and then we're going to be driving a BMW. That's not what it's talking about. <laughs> talks about us have the ability to tear down, to build up, to make our relationships worse, to make our relationships better, to destroy families, to increase families. All of those things are in the power of our tongue. 22, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now this is amazing. So the wife here, the discovering of a wife, a finding a wife, is finding a good thing. That which is beneficial, that which is sufficient to a proper life. That's what it means by good. And it said, and you obtain or you gain favor from the Lord. That's deep. So finding a good wife is finding God's favor. That's deep. Now, do you think this is true of any wife? <laughs> Because he said, if a man find a wife. So if you just marry somebody, do you think you're getting favor from God? <laughs> 23. said, the poor use it in treaties, but the rich answer it roughly. Now, this is another one to put in your back pocket. The poor use it in treaties. What he means by that is poor people, they ask, are no more humble in their approach. Said, but the rich answer it, or they respond roughly. And a good example of this would be y'all YouTube watchers and social media people nowadays. Golly, I keep forgetting it. What what they call it? The, the thing, the Karens. <laughs> this is an example of this. Is that when people have a certain amount of money or status in society, they feel they are entitled to a certain level of thing. And so they feel that it gives them a right to respond and treat people in a certain way. And he's saying money can change people's best what he's saying here. So if you're poor, you're more humble. You ask, you beg. But the rich, they answer it roughly. They don't care because you need me. I don't need you. And you don't know who my husband is and that type of idea. That's basically what he's talking about here. And this is a principle we need to understand. Verse 24 says, a man hath, that hath friends must shoot himself friendly. And there is a friend that stick it closer than a brother. So a person that has friends must shoot himself friendly. And there is a friend that stick it closer than a brother. Now this is another one of those famous proverbs. That's a little bit more confusing than what we see it on the surface. Because that end of that proverb, shoot himself friendly, is one of those concrete words that could be taken anyway. 
most of the times when we see this word in the Bible, it means comes to ruin or bad or evil. And you're like, that don't make sense. A man that have friends must show himself evil or bad or come to ruin. Right? But the idea with this one is that a person that has friends, and here the multiplicity of friends is the concrete, uh, is the basis of it that helps me in the understanding of it. A person that has a boatload of friends or the multiplicity of friends, a lot of friends, eventually comes to ruin. Think about MC Hammer. <laughs> Your entourage takes away from you because as we saw earlier, the person with a lot of money has a lot of friends because people attach themselves to people who have money. And that's what the idea that he has here, that a person that got surrounded by a whole lot of people, eventually they're going to come into ruin. But there is a friend, a true friend, a real friend that sticks closer than a brother. And it's the idea of if you got a real friend, it's few. Multiplicity of friends may not necessarily be friends. Because a friend, as the proverb told us earlier, love at all times. But if you're surrounded by people, and y'all, we all old enough to know, just pay attention. Think about you in high school versus you now. And how the older you got, the smaller your crew became. Like the older you get, the more serious you get about life, the less and less people want to be around you. And the less and less you have quote unquote friends. And that's the point that he's getting to here. The multiplicity of friends is not necessarily a good thing, but there is a real friend that you can have that stick closer than a brother. That's going to always be with you. Y'all understand that. It ain't good to surround yourself with folks. Let's see if we press through a couple more. 19. said, better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. There's another one of them better ones. How many of y'all believe it? said, better to be poor and walking with integrity or walking with righteousness than to be perverse in your lips and be a fool. And so the contrast possibly be you can be perverse in your lips, your mouth messed up, and you can be a fool and you can be rich or you can be poor and have integrity. Like better to be poor and have integrity than to be rich and be a fool. Y'all believe that? You think that's true? All right. Y'all keep saying y'all believe it. We're going to see. <laughs> Verse two said also that the soul be without knowledge. It is not good. And he that hasted it with his feet, sin it. So that the soul be without knowledge, so that you be bereft of knowledge, not have knowledge, like that's not a good thing. That's not the way you were designed to be. That's not functioning properly. But the person that hasted with his feet, the person that's quick with his feet, that's run, that, that rush into things, like that person sinned. And here the idea is not necessarily that they sin as in commit a sin, but they sin as in they go astray. They mess up. They go too far. So the idea is as we move and as we navigate, we use knowledge and not rush into anything. So when fools rush in, that's the old proverb is. Verse 3, the foolishness of a man perverteth his way and his heart fretteth against the Lord. So the foolishness inside a man causes his way to go astray, a twisted his way. And his heart 
fusses or, or frustrates against God. So a heart of a foolish man rebels against God and that's the thing inside of him that causes him to go astray. That's a deep one. So anytime you see a man that's revoking or rebelling against God or his way is not the way it's supposed to be, why is he doing that? Because his heart ain't right. He's a foolish man. Verse 4, wealth maketh many friends, but he that is poor is separated from his neighbor. Close to what we're talking about. If you got a lot of money, you're going to have a lot of friends. But if you get poor, people leave you alone. Verse 5, a false witness shall not be unpunished, but he that speaketh lies shall not escape. That's a deep one. A false witness shall not be unpunished, but he that speaketh lies shall not escape. So if you tell a lie, you're not going to go without being punished. That's what he's saying. That's what he said. A false witness shall not be unpunished. So a false witness, he's going to be punished. So he's not going to be unpunished. So punishment is going to happen to him. Y'all heard that too? <laughs> you tell a lie, punishment going to happen. What if you trick mama and she don't realize? <laughs> punishment still going to happen. And saying, he that speaketh lies shall perish. Or the one that tells lies going to die. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over a prince. So to be happy, to enjoy himself, it's like that's not the proper thing for a fool. So a fool should not be living in pleasure and leisure. And a servant should not be ruling over princes. Verse 11. The discretion of a man deferred his anger and it is the glory of, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. So the discretion of a man, that's the knowledge out of the intellect of a man. So if you're smart, saying that causes you to not be angry. Think about that one for a minute. The discretion of a man deferred or knocks away his anger. So we're saying if you got intellect, if you smart, that makes you not be angry. Put that one in your back pocket. Though. Let that, that one sit there. The discretion of a man deferred his anger. It's like, hold on. You don't believe it? <laughs> but they're not intelligent. They have the ability to re remember facts and spurt them out, but they're not wise. They're not intelligent. Uh-huh. And so if you meet a man that cannot control, you meet a man that don't have what you say, common sense. Common sense ain't good sense, <laughs> some folks say. Because what's common ain't good. People are foolish. And what is saying, if your mind works right, if you are intellect, if you have great understanding, that causes your anger to be deferred. So if you are a man that's quick to get angry, you are a man that is of a small mind. Your mind don't function the way that it is supposed to function. And it said, it is his glory, it is an honor to him, it is praise to him to pass over a transgression. So to allow somebody to do him wrong, and to be forgiven, to let it go. It's like that's the glory of a man with great intellect. That's deep. Put that one in. Think about it. I hope ain't nobody no angry person in here. Verse 12 said, The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. So when the king gets angry, that's just like a lion coming after you. But when he favors you, that's just like the dew upon the grass. It's something that's sweet. It's a blessing. Verse 13, a foolish son is the calamity of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. That's deep. 
To a foolish son is the calamity or the destruction or the tearing down of his father. And a wife, a contentious wife, is a continual dropping. So a son that lives as a fool not only hurts the son, but brings destruction to the father. So the way children live has an impact on the father. And him, he says, a contentious wife. So a wife that always want to fight, always want to argue, he said, it's like a continual dropping. And the idea of is almost like torture. Something that just consistently drops. Like one thing that people do in military and that stuff that's supposed to be outlawed is sometimes they'll bind a man and get like a faucet or ice cube or something and let it drip on his forehead for hours. And it hurts eventually and it creates a psychological torment that the man break down with. He's saying, if you had a wife that always fuss, it's like that. It's torture. It's a continual drop. It's something that just nags at you and to the point where you go crazy. So son, get a good one. <laughs> 14. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. So house and riches are the inheritance of fathers. So fathers can bring about our inherit house and riches. It's a deep one. And the way that it's open, I like that. Because it could be saying that the father who rightly raises his son gets those things. Because you raise up one who poured old things into you. And it talks about a prudent wife. It is from the Lord. So you got a contentious wife. And you got a prudent wife. One of them going to drive you crazy. While he said the other one is from the Lord. So if you got a prudent wife, a wise wife, like that comes from God. God bestows a wise wife. Which flashes us back to the last chapter. We're talking about he that findeth the wife. This is the type of wife he's talking about. So if if you don't have a wise wife, you don't got a God wife. Yes, ma'am. Prudent? Very good question. Prudent. Is the idea of you understand something and you know how to act based off your understanding. So it's almost like a word we would use would be like a sly fox. It's somebody that, 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 that know everything that's going on and they can sneak around and they can do things that other people don't do because they don't understand. But this one is talking about in a good sense that they know and understand enough about life so they know how to make the right decisions and do the right thing. That's a prudent person. That know how to use money right. Know how to use everything because of their understanding. Good question. Where am I? 15. Slothfulness cast into, into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall be hungry. That's a deep one. Slothfulness or being lazy cast into a deep sleep. And it's the idea of the more lazy you are the more lazy you will be. So slothfulness casts us through a deep sleep. So it makes you sleepy. It brings you down when you're being lazy. It puts you at rest. And it says idleness. Now the idle soul shall suffer hunger. So the person who does not do anything. That's going to be the person that does not eat. And this is a tra- I say this over and over again. This is something we need to implant and instill within our children. Greatly. Want is connected with work. You cannot separate the two. 
If you want something, that means you want to work. That's, that's just the way it works. <laughs> and we need to put it in their brain. I'm telling you, as soon as they start, to, the moment they can open up their mouth to say, I want something, start telling you, you want a job. That's it. Oh, mom, I want Starburst. No, you want to work at Starbucks. <laughs> put it in there. Because if we allow them to grow up and be idle, you ain't going to be around to give them everything forever. Verse 16. He that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul, but he that despiseth his ways shall die. So if you keep the commandment, if you live according to the commandment, you're protecting your own soul. But if you despise your ways or despise walking in that way or despise your patterns, you, you look at it with an evil eye, you're going to die. That's heaven. He that hath pity on the poor, lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given, will he repay him again? Or will he pay him again? So we talked about Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your substance. <clears throat> and we talked about how the church folks tricked us. And basically told us that honoring the Lord with the substance, with the first fruit of your increase, means bringing everything you make and bringing it to the house of God. But the proverb didn't say nothing about doing that. So far, every time it talks about honoring God with our stuff, what it been talking about? Huh? Mm -mm. Well, you ain't been here, so you get a pass. So far, as we read through this proverb, every time it talks about honoring God, Every time it talks about giving to God, it talks about what? Giving to the poor. And this one it said, he that hath pity on the poor gives to who? God. And who will repay him? God will repay him. So showing mercy to the poor, giving to the poor, that's giving to God. So if you want to give to God, give to some poor people. Verse 18. Chasten thy son, uh oh, son. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for, for his crying. So chasten means to correct, to discipline. And here it has the connotation of beating. It don't only mean beating, <laughs> but it has the connotation of beating. So it's saying, chasten your son while there is hope. So it's the idea where there is a time period where you can change or alter your son. So during that time period, chasing him, discipline him. And it adds there, do not let your soul spare because of his crying. Like, so don't hold back because he's crying. Chasing him while there's hope. And to me, I add for myself, do not let your soul spare because you are tired. Because that is a dangerous thing. And we all are guilty of that. So don't feel like dealing with something. So we overlook it and it goes. And the next thing you know, your child is the devil. And you crying. I don't know what they did wrong. <laughs> a man of great wrath, 19, shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. So a person of great wrath, a person who blurts out, a person who get angry and reacts quick, he's saying they going to suffer punishment. And say, if you spare, I mean, if you deliver him, so if they get themselves in a bind because of their anger and you get them out of it, it's like, if this is a person of great anger, you're going to have to do it again. Because their anger going to put them in a position where they will suffer punishment. And basically saying, ain't nothing you can do to stop it. 
So if you deliver them, you're going to have to deliver them again because they're always going to put themselves in a position where because of their anger, because of their lack of control, and with this one, it's not just getting mad, it's the outburst, it's a response. You're going to have to keep delivering them. 20. Huh? Yes, you can change them. That's the only way. That's what it says. If there's still a person of great wrath, ain't nothing you can do to stop it. So if you want to deliver them, you go back to verse 18. Chasing them, wise hope. 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in the latter end. So listen and receive. Why? So in the end, at the back, you're going to be wise. 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So there's a lot of plans. There's a lot of intentions inside of a man. But the only thing that's going to stand, the only thing that's going to last is counsel from God. So God's advice, God's view, God's take on things. So what should we do with the devices of our heart? Consult God about them. 22, the desire of a man is his kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. Now, that's a deep one. Put that one in your pocket. So the passion of a man, that's his loving kindness or his generosity. And saying a poor man is better than a liar. So it's better to be poor than to be a liar. The fear of the Lord tended to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Put that one in our pocket, too. So the fear of the Lord it produces life. And if you have the fear of the Lord, say so you're going to stay satisfied. You're going to remain content. And you shall not be visited with evil. Put that one. Got to come back to that one. Add that one to verse, I mean, chapter 12, verse 21. 24. A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. That's deep. This is a lazy man. Put his hand in his chest and won't even bring it back up to finish eating. It's the idea of a person that starts something and won't bring it to task. 25. Smite a scorner in the simple world. Beware. Reprove one that hath understanding and he will understand knowledge. So if you got a scorner, that's a mocker, a prideful person. Say if you smite him and you beat him, if you punish him, the simple or the naive will pay attention and beware. So if you punish the, the prideful, the naive will learn. If you reprove one that hath understanding, he will understand. So who is the only person that don't understand in this verse? Smite a scorner, the simple will beware. Reprove one that has understanding, and he will understand. So who is the only person that don't understand? Who? That smite is to hit. If you smite a scorner, the simple will beware. If you reprove a man of understanding, he will increase knowledge. So who the only person that don't learn out of this whole situation? Y'all see it? Uh, he learns. Because he gets knowledge. The simple learn. The only one that don't learn is the scorner. The mocker, the boastful, the prideful person. You discipline him, he don't learn. Other people learn from his, his discipline. So if you got a prideful person, they're the person that cannot be corrected. They're stuck and stubborn in their way. The mocker. They're the only ones that don't learn. Everybody else learn from them. They don't learn from their own foolishness. Let's see if we push it to the end. Oh. Smite a scorner. I mean, 26. 
He that wasted his father and chases away his mother is a son that causes shame and bring it reproach. The one that wasted his father is one that responds violently to his father. So you respond violently to your father, chases away your mother is disregard her or cause her to be separated from you. So if you run off your mother, you respond violently to your father. Say you have son that brings shame and cause reproach on the family. 27. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that caused it to ear from the words of knowledge. So stop listening to instruction or guidance or advice that causes you to go away from the words of knowledge. So if you're listening to somebody that's telling you something that will cause you to walk in a pattern that's different from true knowledge or wisdom of God, stop listening to it. An ungodly witness, scorn of judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. So the ungodly witness, they scorn at judgment. They hate judgment. So they don't want things to be done in a just and righteous manner. Say in the mouth of the wicked, they devour iniquity. They eat up iniquity. So the wicked person, they take delight in evilness. They they fill themselves with it. Verse 29, judgments are prepared for scorners and strikes for the back of fools. Stop right there. Judgments are prepared for scorners and strikes for the back of fools. So the scorner, the people who mock and speak down on others, judgments, that means God's condemnation, our indignation towards them is the thing that's set up for them. So it's being prepared, it's being set up. Stripes is being prepared for the back of food. Stripes is just like what it sounds. Whips or beatings. That's what God has set up for the back of food. Anybody got any questions? 